So we're continuing the Westminster Shorter Catechism. We're at question number 76 through 78. We're looking then at the ninth commandment. So we will begin, as we usually do, by confessing the, the answers to the questions that we're doing now. So question 76, which is the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment is, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. One of the things that we looked at last week was the scope of this commandment. We saw that when God tells us not to bear false witness, that it doesn't mean that, as it is with all the commandments, that it's limited just to the letter of the law. In other words, the only thing that... that, that we should not suppose that the only thing that is um, forbidden here is to go to court and make up stuff about other people to get them in trouble, (laughs) bearing false witness against your neighbor. It is actually much broader than that. He is telling us that we should not do that or anything related to that. That's the way we are to look at all the commandments. There are two things in particular that should come to mind with this particular commandment about bearing false witness, the prohibition against that. We should not lie to each other, but we should speak the truth, not lie at all, but speak the truth. We should not engage in malicious gossip against our neighbor. Just as God wants us to see the command not to kill as a command not to hate our brother and the command not to commit adultery is uh, also telling us that we should not lust after someone to whom we're not married. So he wants us to see the command against bearing false witness as a command against lying and all gossip. Furthermore, as we have seen with all the other commandments, when God requires a certain behavior, then he forbids the opposite behavior. And when he forbids the behavior, then he is also commanding the opposite behavior. So in this case, he's forbidding something. He's forbidding bearing false witness against our neighbor. That means that he also requires us to tell the truth and to promote our neighbor's good name, which is the opposite of bearing false witness. So questions 77 and 78 in the catechism speak about this full scope of this commandment. And question 77 about what it requires of us and question 78 about what it forbids. So let's confess the answers to these questions as well. Question 77, what is required in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment requireth the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness bearing. Question 78, what is forbidden in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment forbiddeth whatsoever is prejudicial to the truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. Today, as we look in more detail at this commandment, I want to focus in particular on the problem of maliciously seeking to destroy your neighbor's good name or your neighbor's reputation, which is what we mean when we speak of their good name. We already had a reading from Proverbs 
that speaks about this sin of gossip or bad-mouthing our neighbor. And now I want to have a reading about this from the New Testament from James. I will begin reading in James 4.11. You will notice in this reading, as in the one from Proverbs, that it speaks not only about bad-mouthing your neighbor, but also about boasting. Where bad-mouthing is, boasting is never far away. And we're going to see that. Because when you're bad-mouthing people, you're trying to bring them down so you'll feel better about yourself or look better to other people. And when you're boasting about yourself, you're trying to elevate yourself in, in connection with other people. So the truth is, is lost and you're distorting the truth to make you look better and to make them look worse. So they go, they go hand in hand and we see them put together in, in the proverb that we read and now we see it in James. So listen as I read to you. Give careful attention because it's the very word of God beginning in James 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now I want to have another reading from James, going back to James chapter 3 and talking about how much destruction that the tongue causes. Okay, so we see this, this uh, boasting and this uh, bad-mouthing that in James 4. Now let's look and see what kind of trouble does our tongue cause. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. This is James 3.1. Knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever their pilot, the pilot desires." Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, 
and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? There is no, thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So you see when we, there we in the reading of God's word. So you see when we're hostile toward others, then we're going to use our tongue in ways that are, are malicious and that are destructive. It's one of the tools that we employ. And so then we're not bringing forth wisdom, but we're bringing forth lies. You see how the Holy Spirit tells us through James what a problem our tongues are. There is not a person alive that doesn't sin with their tongue. Even the prophet Isaiah confessed that he was a man of unclean lips who dwelt in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He was a very holy and godly man as everyone recognized. But yet he says, I have unclean lips. And while we may try to pretend that our words are not destructive, the Holy Spirit tells us otherwise both in James and in Proverbs. The tongue can bring nations to war. It can destroy another person. And it can be the cause of friendships and families being destroyed. Of course, the problem is with our wicked hearts. The reason our tongues are so wicked is because they express what is churned up and produced in our heart. Our speech is one of the main outlets for our malicious hearts that are full, as it says in James, of bitter envy and self-seeking. So we despise others, we exalt ourselves, and then our mouth reflects that by boasting about ourselves and by bad-mouthing others. Both the words that are spoken against our neighbor and the boasting words used to exalt ourselves are full of bitter envy and self-seeking. So let's begin by looking at bad-mouthing. James speaks with great directness in James 4.11. He says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Now it's very straightforward. The word translated speak evil is a word that means to speak down about. To speak down, or as we would say, to run somebody down. That's the idea. There are three basic forms of bad-mouthing that you must avoid. First, you must avoid making things up about other people that are not true. 
it would probably be safe to say that you have all been victim of this at some time or another. But don't take it too hard because, you know, people may have said things about you that were not true. But how would you like it if they knew all the things that were true and they reported all that, the bad things about you that are true? They don't know half of it, do they? And if they knew it all and they reported that, you'd be in bad shape. So don't get all too bent out of shape when people say things about you that are not true. But it is a very difficult thing, isn't it, to be falsely accused? I mean, it does, it, it hurts. And again, I, I'm sure that you've all been a victim of that. But I'm equally sure that I would be quite safe to say that all of you have also badmouthed others. It's not something that we like to admit, even to ourselves. This is something we always deny. Oh, no, no, I don't ever do that. Yes, you do. (laughs) This is just the way it is. And indeed, you may not go around accusing people of stealing who who didn't steal something, you know, just making up stuff that they stole something or, or cheating someone if they didn't even do that. But how often have you assumed ill motives of your neighbor? And even spread your assumption to others by hints or by direct words. Or been in a conversation when you have wrongly charged your own spouse or even your own mother with wrong that is not quite exactly what she's done. Or an exaggeration of a wrong that she actually has done, but you exaggerate it. James is right when he says that the tongue is hard to tame. It just, it cuts loose. It does things that un, we can tame wild animals, but he says we can't tame our own tongue. A second form of bad mouthing that you need to avoid is that of spreading bad things about other people that are true when it is unnecessary to do so. So see, that one is about spreading things that are not true, the first one. It's also a problem with spreading Things about people that are true in a malicious way. Husbands and wives can be the worst about this to each other. So can parents about their children. You know a lot about people that you live with, both the bad and the good. And it's evil for you to take advantage of that to spread hurtful things about them. Sometimes it's a way of getting pity for yourself that you have to live with such people. Sometimes it's a way of attacking your spouse or your children to get back at them because of the things that you don't like that they have done to you. James says, don't speak evil of one another. One of the most wicked things ever is the way that a child will write a book about their parents. We see that happening in our day. To attack them by exposing all the ways that they have done wrong and wronged them. This ought never to be done. We are to love our parents and we should guard their reputation, not publish a book for the sake of destroying it. And if we do this for those who are near to us and hopefully dear to us, how much more are we likely to do it for someone that is a professed enemy? The Jews went looking for things against Jesus. Of course, they weren't able to find anything that was really wrong. Daniel's colleagues, likewise in King Darius's cabinet, did exactly the same thing to Daniel. They looked eagerly to find fault with him. The same spirit that rejoices to find evil in others that we don't care for can be found in all of us to varying degrees. There's something about us, the malicious aspect, that we like to find 
things wrong with other people. It is very malicious. But of course, I need to add that there are times when it is proper and necessary to speak evil about others. In fact, there are times when it is your duty to do so. For example, if someone in the church has sinned and not repented, you need to go to that person first alone, just you and that person. Nobody else needs to know about it and plead with them to repent. Nobody else needs to know, but if they refuse to hear, then it is your duty to go and get someone else, to go and talk to that person, one or two others, and plead with them to repent. Don't just let it go. This is where you ought to say something. And likewise, if someone has committed a crime, it is sinful for you to try to cover it up unless it is an unjust law that is broken. Like if somebody was hiding Jews from the Nazi regime, then you don't have an obligation to go and report that is a, a crime, what is called a crime to the authorities in that case. Because it's not, it, it's, a crime is according, a crime according to God's word, not according to an oppressor that names it as a crime. Uh, a crime is a sin against the whole society and it needs to be dealt with by those who represent the society, those who are in authority. It's very right to report certain things, but it's wrong to reveal evil about others when there is no good reason to reveal evil about others. A third form of bad-mouthing is passing along rumors about others. I guess it should go without saying that if it is wrong for you to spread evil about others that you have seen, then it's also wrong for you to spread evil things that you have heard from other people. But this is also true when it is things that need to be known and you, in that case, too quickly accept what others have said without substantiating the fact. So, okay, if there's something here you see that you hear a rumor about someone, it's something that needs to be known. Maybe it's a minister, for example, and he believes false doctrine or he's living a double life or something like that. It needs to be dealt with. Okay, he's a public figure, needs to be dealt with, it needs to be uh, investigated and handled. But if you just hear a rumor and you spread that, then you have done great wrong. You have, you have done something malicious. The information that needs to be published about the, um, the one that's done wrong is important. But until it's verified, then you have become as guilty as those who spread false rumors about Jesus Christ. Because that's what they did. They heard things about Jesus and then they spread those to other people. It's a great sin and it's a very common one. I think that a lot of us ministers have problems with being jealous of other ministers. And then we are very quick if we hear something bad about another one to spread that around. And it should not be so. Bad mouthing in all three of these modes is a great sin. James's clear prohibition is so simple. Do not speak evil of one another. Consider how destructive bad-mouthing is to your neighbor. Let me show you some of the ways. It destroys your neighbor's good name, which according to Proverbs 22, verse 1, is more to be chosen than great riches. 
Just think, a bad name can hurt your neighbor financially. It can turn people away from his business or keep him from being able to get a job. Because you've said things about him that, that make no one want to, to deal with him. A bad name can hurt your neighbor socially. It can cause other people to distrust him and to avoid him. And he may not even know why. You've been spreading things about him he doesn't even know. A bad name can destroy your neighbor's influence. He might be a person who could be of great help to others. Say to another person who is having trouble with their marriage. But because you drew attention to the one time when you heard that individual losing his temper, but said nothing about the repentance that quickly followed after he lost his temper, and because you have talked often of him as someone who yells at his wife, you destroy the influence that that person might have had in the lives of others. That kind of thing, can, it can be very malicious. And not only do you destroy your neighbor's good name by talking evil of him, but you also do it in a way that he can't rectify. Think about how malicious this is. Usually evil speaking is done behind the back, behind your neighbor's back. What a terrible thing. You attack him and he doesn't even know that he's being attacked. And he can't do damage control. He can't come and defend himself. He has no way of doing it. It's like stabbing someone in the back, except it's better if you stab them in the back because they know they got stabbed. And then they can deal with it. They can stop the blood flow. They can, they can rectify. But it, this is where you're stabbing them in the back and they don't, they don't even know that you're doing it because you're destroying their reputation out there. He may even think that you're his friend. And all the while you're attacking him. Very wicked. Another thing that makes this sin an especially harmful one is that the damage you inflict by it is very often impossible to rectify. Not for the reason I just said where you don't know about it, but I mean when you do know about it. People really like to hear bad things about others that, so that even if you repent, then the person will still kind of hold on to that thing that they heard. It will damage the person's reputation. Even when everything comes clear, it's evident, it's obvious that it's not true, people will still carry that bad opinion. Kind of a, kind of a savor of, of, uh, of badness that they see toward that person. You can deeply discourage and even ruin your neighbor with your tongue. God will not let you get away with this kind of thing. He will deal with this sin. Now, a digression here. Let me say that if you are the victim of bad-mouthing, then you need to remember that God will use it for good. Okay, If you're on the other side of it, people have spoken evil of you. Yeah, it can be impossible to rectify. You may not even know it for a time. I have had some pretty serious rumors spread about me in the past, and I grew more from the times when that happened than I did when people were speaking well of me. It doesn't excuse the wrong, and God will judge those who speak evil of others. But if you're the victim, know that God meant it for good in your life and use it as an occasion to draw near to God and to love your enemy. If you know who it is that's spoken evil about you, then go and love that enemy. God will judge them. That's his job. You go and love them. That's your job. Leave it in God's hands, and he will take care of it. And now I would like to show you how bad-mouthing is often joined to other sins 
that are forbidden in other commandments. Let's start with the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment tells us to honor our father and mother, and that includes all who are in authority over us. One of the primary ways to dishonor your parents is by badmouthing them to their face, to your siblings, or to your friends, or even in your own heart. Often this is done to justify your disobedience to them or disregard of them. I mean, after all, if they're stupid and wicked, then why should you be expected to listen to them? Some people do this to make an excuse as to why their life is such a mess. If you knew what my parents were like, that's, that's why I'm like, well, you need to repent of your mess and take responsibility for that. The sixth commandment is one that prohibits killing. A heart of murder is a heart that doesn't want other people around. And one of the ways to get rid of other people is with your tongue. What do you do? Someone says, hey, we should take Betty on a shopping trip. Did anyone call her? That person, oh no, I don't want to take, I don't want her to come. You know, she's always, you know, this or that. She's, uh, she complains too much. So you just snubbed her. You just murdered her as far as that trip is concerned. Like she was eliminated from your sight. That's what you do when you murder someone. You can't stand to have them around. So you, 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 you take them out and you can do that with your tongue. And the seventh commandment about adultery. What does an adulterer do when he or she starts to have desires for another person? The adulterer will begin to badmouth their husband or their wife in an effort to justify their, their um, adulterous conduct. And uh, it's a very, again, a very common sort of thing. They'll highlight all the, you know, the wrong that's in their spouse to say, you know, what else could I do? Like I, I was driven to this by this husband or this wife. And then there's the eighth commandment about stealing. This is one of the most common places that slander is employed. One business will badmouth another business in an effort to make a sale. And a group of employees will do this with their employer. They'll badmouth their employer in an effort to get a raise that they don't deserve or vice versa. The employer will badmouth the employees in an effort to justify paying them unjust wages. You see how far badmouthing goes. But now I want to look at another sin that is very closely related to badmouthing. I already told you what it is, and that is boasting. When you badmouth, as I said before, boasting is usually quite near at hand. When you boast, you use your tongue to improve your own reputation. Your character should speak for itself. Instead of spending your energy in boasting, you ought to give your strength to improving your character. Then you will not need to boast. If your character is clearly uh, exemplary, then why would you need to boast? There are two ways that boasting is done. One is to exaggerate about how good you are. You make claims about the good that you have done or about the good that you are capable of doing or even about the goodness that is in you. Maybe the goodness of your intentions if you weren't in such a situation as you're in. You know, but you distort the truth. The second way of boasting does not involve direct exaggeration. And the second way 
you just draw a lot of attention to that good that you to the good that you have done or that you intend to do or are able to do and you may be speaking the truth but you're highlighting to draw attention to it you feel that you're just getting the record straight and being honest about things that people don't appreciate you enough but it, are you really Remember what I said before, what if people knew all the things that they don't know about you, how would you come out then? You know, if uh, you wouldn't need to, if, when you boast, even if you tell the truth, what you're typically doing is only telling part of the story. You don't tell the, you just tell a selective part and you show the good and you don't talk about the bad now you can see how this goes hand in hand with badmouthing. If the goal is to make yourself look better in comparison to others, which it usually is, then you will use badmouthing at the same time to bring your neighbor down and boasting to bring up your own reputation in comparison. You end up with a, quite a distorted picture of things. Even if everything you said, again, if every single thing you said was technically true, the things you draw attention to being highly selective put you in the best light and your neighbor in the worst light. So they create a great distortion even though you didn't technically say anything that wasn't true. It's all done with smoothness and it even deceives your own heart. You might even actually believe yourself about it. But of course the reality is it is seldom the case that what you say is in fact technically true when you're boasting or bad-mouthing. Most of the time, there's a bit of embellishment. There's a bit of embellishment about how bad your neighbor is, about how good you are. When you start bad-mouthing, you almost always slip into a few embellishments. And when you start boasting, you almost always slip into a few embellishments and exaggerations about that. Boasting comes into the picture in many different situations. Let's look at some examples. There's the young man who wants to win a girl. What does he do? He will boast about his accomplishments, about his wisdom, about his strengths, about his virtues, about his goodness, about his intentions, all kinds of things. And he will paint a grand picture of his potential. But by doing this, he wrongs her because he's leading her astray. He's setting her up for disappointment. It's only a matter of time till she'll discover the truth and hopefully she'll discover it before she establishes an attachment with him. If you paint an honest picture to start with, then she'll know what she's getting. If you really loved her, you would not want to deceive her. And then there is the person who is applying for a new job. Great temptation here. You might even be tempted to lie about your credentials. Maybe you boast to your... Um, to the person that you're applying to, you boast about the big project that you worked on as an archaeologist when you actually were just the gopher for an archaeologist. And you tell about all the discoveries that were made and all the reports that were done and all the things. And, and all you were was the guy that you know carried pencils around and, and pushed paper and ran to get things that were needed, go get this shovel or, or whatever like that. By doing so, by boasting in that way, you're asking for an unhappy relationship with your future employer because that supervisor will be expecting more from you than what you're able to deliver now 
you will be fired from that job and with your bad reviews, you won't be able to get another job. You'll be even in worse shape. And of course, there is the boasting of the salesman about his product or service. My diet pill is better than your diet pill. Or if you buy my product, then you'll get service after the sale, but not if you buy their product. As, with, as we saw with bad-mouthing, if you're not telling the truth, you're actually guilty of stealing. So when you boast, you're guilty of stealing that case. And when you badmouth, you're guilty of stealing when it has to do with business. The ninth commandment violates the eighth in that case. Very often, boasting is resorted to as a way to get people to think better of you. We've said before, a good name is to be chosen more than great riches. It's true. But what is the good of your name if it's a name that's propped up with lies and falsehood? That's not a good name. That's a name that only appears to be good, but it's not rooted in truth. Such a name will not stand. And then it will be worse than if it had never been falsely promoted. Proverbs advises you, Proverbs 27, 2, let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. That's a good idea. Let other people do the good talking about you. You don't, don't do it yourself. Say, well, they'll never say it. Well, that's fine. Leave, leave it. Wouldn't it be much better for people to be pre- presently surprised about you than to be disappointed about you? And wouldn't it be better to have people think a little less of you and to live before God with a clear conscience than to have people think of you better than you are and have a defiled conscience before God? If you find yourself boasting, you're in great danger of looking to, for honor from man instead of God. And that sets you up for apostasy. Jesus asked this searching question in John 5, How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only true God? Think about that. How serious that was. These guys like the Pharisees and stuff, they're looking for honor from other people. And Jesus comes and following him would give them dishonor. And so they bear a false witness against Jesus and lie about him. Why? Because they had been boasting about themselves and trying to pump up their honor. And now they can't believe. They can't believe the truth because it doesn't fit with what they're trying to do. You're living in that case for man instead of God. How can you believe, he says. Okay, so what is the remedy for bad mouthing and boasting? How can we deal with with this problem in our lives. First thing is to recognize how harmful and unjust a thing it is to your neighbor. We, now this is kind of review because we, we touched on this, but you're attacking his reputation. One of the most important things about him, the tongue can do great harm as I showed you. It can hurt him financially. It can hurt him socially. It can even destroy his usefulness to others. Whether you succeed or not at hurting him, it is very wicked for you to, to try to do or to do what would, could potentially harm him. What right do you have to do this to your neighbor? God in justice calls you to love your neighbor, not to attack him and cut him to pieces with your razor sharp tongue, especially when you do it in secret and he can't even defend himself. There you are painting a false picture of how bad he is and how good you are. It's a great wickedness. Let it sink down in your heart of what a vile thing it is to attack people. This is what I was talking about uh, in the sermon earlier today. 
that when there's something in your life that you've never really faced, you kind of gloss over and kind of excuse yourself and all that. You're, you're living in this kind of this sin and this kind of distance from God and things are not clear. You need to come to terms with this and deal with it and repent of it, that God would grant you real repentance, that he would speak into your life and say, this is malicious. This is unacceptable. This must not be done. And because it is such a wicked thing, recognize as well that God will judge if you don't repent. Vengeance belongs to him. Even if you get away with malicious lies and slanders and you come out on top in the eyes of all the world, often you, it won't be that way because often people will see through it. But even if you do, you can be sure that God will deal with you severely in that case. Justice will be done in the end. Warnings are given in Scripture. In Psalm 52.5, the Lord uses graphic language to address the boasting tongue that badmouths others. He says, Psalm 52.5, God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. And in James 4, 11 and 12, the Lord says that when you speak evil of your brother, you set yourself up as if you are the lawgiver and the judge. You put yourself in the place of God. And that means that he is going to bring you down from that place before everyone because God will not have a rival. He will not give his glory to another. You set your standard up against your neighbor. You judge him according to your understanding, which is not complete. And God says, I'm going to deal with you. See how wrong it is. See how great God's judgment is against this sin. And then do the most important thing of all to deal with this sin. That is preliminary, what I just talked about. Seeing what a great sin it is, being disgusted with it, and then uh, seeing the judgment that comes from it. But get to Jesus Christ. That's what you do from here. Go to him and confess your sin and plead with him for mercy. He came to die for people like us who get a charge out of bad-mouthing other people and tearing them down with our tongues and making ourselves look better by boasting. He does the opposite. He takes us who are defiled and unclean and he switch, and he who is pure and righteous and he switches places with us and bears our shame and guilt on the cross before the Father and before the world and before the court of the land. He takes us defiled, unclean, corrupt, ruined and guilty before him and he lifts us up to justify us in the sight of God. Go on and admit that it is in your heart to tear down people that you take a certain pleasure in hearing of the failure of your neighbor, confess your sin to the Lord and plead with him for mercy and he will fully pardon you. Not partially, but fully pardon you. He has made a covenant promise that if you look to him, then he will forgive your sins, him who is crucified. And then in light of that pardon, in light of the fact that you have been forgiven and accepted with an acceptance that you in no way deserve, 
Okay, if you're in Jesus Christ, you do not in yourself deserve to be there. The very foundation of being in Christ is that you're a sinner who could not save yourself and had no grounds even to appeal except for God's promise of mercy. And you came to him and he saved you. You have been put in a place where you don't really, uh, you did not earn. Okay, so realize that in Christ, you do not need to boast to gain God's acceptance. Your acceptance with God is not based on what you are or what you claim to be. If you have God's acceptance, what does it matter what other people think of you? See, you don't rest in that enough. You're all worried about what other people think. That's why you want to boast. That's why you want to tear other people down. But if you're concerned about what God thinks, no, it doesn't matter what other people think. You have admitted the truth now that you have nothing to boast about in yourself when you come to God. You are like everyone else, a ruined sinner, justly condemned to hell without Jesus Christ. You've got nothing to boast about. Now you have something that is worthy to boast about. Jesus Christ, who is crucified for your sin. Now you can focus on boasting about him instead of about yourself. Your focus shifts from being all worried about trying to pump yourself up in the eyes of others. Now God's already accepted you. You don't have to do that. Now you pump him up who is the Savior and Lord. You're just an old corpse without him. Dead in your trespasses and sins. You've got nothing to commend you. Yes, he has transformed you by the new birth. He's given you a new heart and a new life. And it is beautiful to change your new creation in Christ. We've been looking at that in Song of Solomon. It's something that he himself delights in. There has been a change. There's been a work in you, but you can't take any credit for it. And besides that, apart from his powerful grace, you would have nothing. And even with his powerful grace, you still have a long way to go. There's enough corruption in you to send you to hell even right now. He is the only one who is perfect and righteous. So why would you boast in this thing that is a, an empty, barren corpse that's full of sin and death yourself apart from him rather than him who lifts people up out of that and who is pure and holy and righteous. He is the one who is full of so much love that he came to this world that he might bear our sins on the cross. And he has done that and the father has accepted his sacrifice. That's something to boast about wherever you go to whoever you see. So don't try to just stop boasting. It's not going to work. You need to boast about something. But it shouldn't be you. What you need to boast about is Jesus Christ, crucified for sinners. Your goal must be the same as Paul's. To all people in all nations, to boast in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. To boast, as Paul put it, in the cross. He says, Galatians 6, 14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. How much more reprehensible it is for a Christian who has been saved with a salvation that they don't deserve to boast as if they need to elevate themselves somehow. You have been elevated far beyond what you deserve. God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May the world then come alive 
with boasting in Jesus Christ. He is the one, this word, otherwise we're trying to boast about a, a, a corpse, dead in trespasses and sins. Please stand and let's pray. Gracious Father, we realize that we're doing a very, very foolish and artificial thing when we do boast about ourselves and about our own glory, trying to pump ourselves up in the eyes of other people and in the world. We've got no need to do that. You have accepted us through Jesus Christ. You've shown us what we truly are, and we supposedly have accepted the truth about that and have acknowledged it. But we're so quick to want to put ourselves in the best light, to try to make ourselves look better. We pray, Lord, that you'd have mercy on us and help us, Lord, to be delivered from this craving to elevate ourselves. And may we have, like Paul did, a craving to elevate Jesus Christ who redeemed us, saved us when we were unworthy. We pray, Lord, that we might be able to encourage other people to boast in him, not in us. We thank you that he is so worthy of all boasting and that his work is worthy of all boasting and glorying. And it's something that we can glory in for all eternity and it will never be exhausted. So help us, Lord, to, as your people especially, to boast in the cross and not in ourselves. Deliver us, too, from the corollary to that of of bad-mouthing people, trying to tear them down. Sure, there's a lot we can say about our neighbor that is wrong with them, and there's a lot that we make up as well. And it's a very wicked thing. We don't need to go there. Father, deliver us from that also, May our words be words that edify, words that are useful and helpful, not words that are aimed at just making us look better and somebody else look worse. Oh, Lord, what wickedness there is in us. What malicious conduct. Our tongue is an unruly evil. It sets the world of iniquity on fire. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we need your help. Deliver us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love toward one another and to all, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Amen.